Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Still No Plan. Today we have Ranam Jati. I'm super excited to have her back. For our longtime listeners, she was our first guest ever, and she was amazing. We still get so much feedback about her episode and how incredible it was, and her how much her expertise has helped people in their early 20s. So thank you for joining us again. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. We just absolutely love talking to you, and I think today's conversation is going to be really wonderful. It's going to be something. There's a lot that's happened in this last year. I know. (laughs) It's it's truly been a whirlwind of about a year. We just figured out that it's been about a year, which is so crazy. Um, So for those who are not following Rana on social media, uh, she recently this year, a few months ago, I guess, got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So Rana, if you want to just kick it off and kind of talk about how you figured that out, I remember kind of following the journey and it was wild. So if you want to start there, that'd be great. Sure. Um, So back in June, I went to Italy for about two weeks. And the first week I was there, I was there for like a family wedding. And then the second week, my ex-boyfriend came in and we kind of continued on and were traveling together. And Italy at the end of June was like oppressively hot, like really, 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 really hot, really, really humid. And the day that my mom left Italy and my ex and I were going to continue on for like our vacation, I woke up in the morning and I really couldn't see out of my left eye. And it was kind of like, um, it was just like this like black curtain that was like semi-translucent had kind of like descended into my field of vision and I could see some stuff through it. Um, but it was like noticeably different than my right eye. And so I kind of just shook it off. I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'm tired. Maybe it's travel, like whatever. I have had an experience like that, like maybe twice in the two years leading up to this moment it was usually around nighttime. Like I would, you know, be going to bed. I turn off my light and in the absence of like light, I would notice like, Oh, my left eye or my right eye. I couldn't really remember which one just felt dimmer, but like I would go to sleep and wake up and it would go away. And so I, I was thinking like, okay, maybe this is just another one of those situations, like travel exhaustion, whatever. Um, so we continue on throughout our day, wake up the next morning. It's not going away. If anything, it's gotten worse. And it's gotten more intense. And now I start to panic. And so I start Googling, (laughs) obviously, as one does, like all my symptoms, like what the fuck is happening? Um, And I'm starting to panic. And so eventually what ends up happening is I message like the ophthalmologist or optometrist at Microsoft, actually, the person who like gave me my prescription. And I was like, hey, here's what's going on. Um you know, is this something to be worried about? She goes, you need to go to the doctor immediately. Like, I don't think it's this, but there is a risk that your like retina is attached. It could either be a retina detachment or it could be something called optic neuritis, which is an inflammation of the optic nerve behind your eye. So then I start freaking out. And luckily my mom has a cousin who lives in Florence. And so I'm like messaging my mom and messaging her cousin and he's helping me find doctors and whatever. Eventually I find my way. I decide to go to this like ophthalmologist in Naples because they have really good Google reviews and they speak English and they're like texting me on WhatsApp in English. I'm like, okay, this is easy. And I go there 
and she does a whole ex exam and she's like, okay, you need to go to the emergency room. She's like, I don't want to alarm you, but it is optic neuritis and you need to go get some blood work and an MRI. And I'm like, okay, what is happening? So I go all the way in this emergency room in Naples, Italy, where not a single person in that emergency room speaks English. I'm sitting there using Google Translator, typing everything that's going on and like showing the nurse and she's typing back into my phone. She's showing it to me. Anyway, I go sit in the waiting room. Keep in mind, it's still COVID era. So I can, I'm by myself, my boyfriend sitting outside in the heat. And like, the police bring in some dude who's cuffed sitting next to me. His like shirt is completely torn. There's a bunch of like older people wheeled in all like moaning, groaning, like mamma mia. Like they actually <laughs> sit out there someone's throwing up and I'm sitting there for an hour, just like having a panic attack. And then eventually I'm like, I can't do this. Now that I know my retina is not attached. Now that I know that like my physical eye is fine. It's just inflammation. Like I can't be here. Like I cannot do this. I don't feel comfortable. And so I say, fuck it. I'm just going to finish my Italy trip and I'll deal with it all when I get back. Um, so when I get back, I'm very lucky to have, you know, family members who are doctors in the Seattle area. So they kind of get me in on different appointments and I go through a, a series of testing in, in very short order. I do a bunch of blood work. I get a bunch of eye exams done and I end up getting a MRI on my brain. And all of that testing came back incredibly clear that I had multiple sclerosis so it turns out optic neuritis, inflammation of the optic nerve, is one of the most common first relapses of multiple sclerosis. What else is common in multiple sclerosis is being a woman, age 20 to 40, who had previously contracted mononucleosis, Epstein-Barr virus, who uh, also was vitamin D3 deficient. And I was literally textbook all of those things. Um, and so they found lesions on my brain and they, sh it showed that I had had multiple sclerosis for a while, but this was my first official relapse. And, you know, um, it was a wild time. It's a wild time to go on a trip with a significant other where they meet your family, let alone getting a major health scare. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> Let's just say like we're not together anymore, you know? Um, <laughs> it's a stressor for sure. Him, straight guy, just you know, like you that was a little things. too much. Yeah, a little too much. You see some things in those moments. Um, but I'm like, yeah, it it fucking sucked. It sucked. I did not see it coming. You know, like, you know, whoever's been following the story or listening to the last podcast, like I left like this success and stress of corporate life over this last year to become a health and wellness counselor. Like I've been doing everything right, eating right, moving right, managing my stress, all of these things. And then out of nowhere, just get whacked over the head with a multiple sclerosis diagnosis that was just like not within my control. And so for someone who's a control freak and has been doing everything she can to keep illness at bay, to then be, you know, landed a chronic illness, autoimmune disease mm -hmm. that results, can result in, you know, disability over time, just really messed with my head. But yeah, 
I'll stop there and then we can keep going. There's so much more. Could you maybe also like quickly just define what multiple sclerosis or MS is? Uh, I think a lot for a lot of people, like my grandma has MS and I still am like, what is it exactly? I know it's like some autoimmune, but like, is there a specific, do doctors know why? Or like, I don't know, kind of overview of MS. So MS, yeah, it is an autoimmune disorder. So the way um, that it works is my immune system because of my multiple sclerosis is overactive. So when there is some form of like, quote unquote threat, whether that's an infection or stress or high heat or inflammation or whatever, rather than just attacking that threat, my immune system, particularly like the T cells, attack more than what they should. And what they end up attacking is the myelin sheath, the covering of our nerves. And so as the nerve covering degrades, every time it's attacked, what ends up happening is that the neurological signals that move across your body start misfiring. It's like, you know, an exposed wire, essentially, it's going to spark, it's going to do all these things. And so over time, You know, if you have MS attacks, if you have relapses or flare-ups as they call them, uh, you are like at risk of developing neurological uh, disorders and dysfunction. So like for me, what happened was like, you know, I had inflammation of my optic nerve. So I started to lose some sight. I'm very lucky that it's now returned. But what has persisted is like, there are days when either I have poor sleep or I'm exposed to a lot of heat or stress or whatever, where my right arm will go numb and go really tingly. And I will lose the full strength of my right hand, or I'll get like electric shock sensations that run up and down my left leg sporadically. Other people have what they call an MS hug. It's like a feeling of a like a boa constrictor that just wraps around your chest and like squeezes and tightens you. And for some people like me, um, I have relapse remitting multiple sclerosis. So that means I may have an attack or a flare up and then I'll recover from that. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes fully, sometimes partially, like my right arm still having things is like a semi-partial, but my eyes fully returned and it comes and goes. And the goal is to just make sure I don't have a flare up and I don't have a really relapse. And that's the medication that I'm on to help you know, manage that. Some people have primary progressive multiple sclerosis where it just progressively gets worse. And that's where we see a lot more of like, um, the longer effects of the disability of the disease for having MS. I am quite possibly as lucky as it gets. We caught it really early. I don't have any damage to my brainstem or my spinal cord, which is often, more correlated with long-term damage. Mine is just in the white matter. Your body can compensate. You can kind of train your way around some of these things. Um, I recovered from my relapse. I got on a medication very, very quickly. And so, you know, knock on wood, I'm doing okay. You know, I think the parts that we can talk about that suck is just like the mental health part of it. Like that's for me, I'm lucky enough to say like, that is the worst part. So you mentioned earlier that like you kind of check the boxes of, I don't know, the at-risk humans who could be, is it like an exposure to MS or is it something that you get or were you born with it? Like, so they don't really know right before I got my uh, diagnosis, there was a big scientific study that had been released in, I think one of the academic journals is either science or nature or one of those, one of the very respected peer review journals 
where they've started to realize like there's a very, very strong correlation between Epstein-Barr virus and the onset of multiple sclerosis. So Epstein-Barr virus is the mononucleosis virus. And it's not necessarily that if you had Epstein-Barr, you're going to develop MS. There's some other factors that play into that. So genetic predisposition is one of them. If there is MS that runs in your family, vitamin D deficiency is another really, really big one. And so when you look across the world, which geographies have the highest population of MS, the UK and the Pacific Northwest are, are some of the top two because there's just a high prevalence of vitamin D deficiency. And so if you live in either of those areas and you haven't done any blood work to check your vitamin levels, please, 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 please go do that and make sure that you are supplementing if there is a deficiency, especially if you have contracted mono, like so many of us did in college, you know, like that was like the kissing disease. It was like such a casual thing. Like, oh, I got the kissing. Yeah, I got mono in ninth grade. I laughed about it. It was like a joke. I didn't even get it from making out with someone cool. I like was sharing a drink with my gay best friend. Like, you know, (laughs) anything of it. And I think that's, that's the scary part too. It's just like, you know, with things like COVID, we don't like, there are so many long-term ramifications of COVID that we have not yet discovered. COVID had an interaction with my relapse. I had COVID right before I went to Italy and I had so much inflammation in my system from COVID. Mm -hmm. It was like five days of fever. I had rashes on my hands and on my face. I was like fuming. I was angry, angry, angry for no reason whatsoever. That calmed down a little bit, but then you added the heat of Italy, all the like delicious, but like heat generating foods like alcohol and garlic and tomatoes and onions that I was having there, the stress of traveling, it was just fire on top of fire. And I, like many others in the last couple of years had my first relapse because it was kind of induced by some COVID inflammation to begin with. I had MS, but my first flare up was definitely a part of that. And so, you know, they're still learning a lot about this virus, about all of the viruses and how it interacts with our immune system. But Epstein-Barr, genetic predisposition, vitamin D deficiency are kind of the the three main ones. And you said that the toughest part for you so far has more been mental and emotional health, which I can imagine this diagnosis is very scary. So how have you been like coping with that? Like what did those first few months look like for you? Exactly. Um, They were rough. I'm very lucky to have a lot of supportive friends and family members who made sure that I was loved up on real, real hard. I think, you know, um, I'll start with like how the disease affects my mind. When I'm in a symptom flare up or a symptom exacerbation where it's not necessarily a full attack, but it's just like an intensity of the things that I already have. Um, what happens is my mind follows my body. So if my body has a very heavy, intense, um, bout of inflammation that it's fighting, my mind is also incredibly inflamed and I get so unreasonably angry. It's ridiculous. And I'll be sitting there and like something tiny will trigger me. And I start fuming and I'm like, Brianna, chill the fuck out. And like rationally, logically, I know what I'm fuming about is like ridiculous. And I don't even care, but I can't help it. I'm like in this anger spiral and nothing can calm me down. It's only like 
time and distance and all of that stuff. So that's like a real interaction with the actual like physiology of what's happening with my system. Outside of that, I think the beginning parts, especially right after the diagnosis is like, what is my life going to look like? Um, Am I going to be able to do all the things that I've been dreaming about doing all the things that I love to do? Am I going to be disabled one day? Am I going to lose my eyesight? Am I going to lose function of my limbs and my extremities and how, how am I going to find a partner who's going to want to sign up for this? Am I going to be able to have children? How is that going to work? Is that going to cause a flare up or not? You know, like all of these unknown questions that just start coming in. Right. Um, it's a lot of grief. It's a lot of grief. You're grieving a version of your life that you had painted for yourself that just doesn't exist anymore. And you don't really know what it's going to look like at that point in time. I think the other thing that has just, that's kind of calmed down a bit now that I feel stable and that I feel healthy now that I'm in my treatment plan and I understand how this disease works. That's, it's not as scary. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that is, um, given I'm still in your run, still in your one, still learning it is just, it's a constant active thought. Every little physical sensation that I have I'm constantly cataloging and analyzing. What is it? How does it feel? Is this new? Is this different? Is this worse? Is this better? Is this MS? Or is it that I'm just tired, that I haven't had enough water, that I'm stressed out, like constantly keeping track of what is happening with my system. And that's exhausting. And then from there, it's just a constant act of like, do I do the things that I know are going to be good for me? Or do I enjoy my life because I deserve to enjoy my life? (laughs) Constant negotiation and renegotiation between protecting my health and maintaining a sense of freedom and agency over my own life. Um, And that's tough. That's tough because when you make the choice for fun and for freedom and for whatever, so many layers of guilt there. And they're like deep layers of guilt. It's not like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that thing because it makes me bloat. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that because if I have a relapse again, I may lose vision in my left eye. Like it's just the stakes are so much higher. And I, I don't know if it's ever something that you get totally used to. I don't know. I mean, still like right now, like I feel a little bit more comfortable making those decisions. I've had, I was really strict in the beginning. I did everything right. And then I just hit this point where I was just like, fuck it. I need to like, just not actively think about my health anymore. I need to just be normal. I need to just do the things I love. I need to smoke a bowl after work <laughs> and be fine with it. You know. <laughs> and there are days where I, I realize what the um, consequences are of making that decision. And I think uh, the goal is just to be kind to myself through all of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's tough to manage. If anyone is going through something similar, chronic illness, autoimmune disease, I feel for you. It's not an easy thing to go through. I think uh, it's interesting because I don't have a chronic illness. I just have severe um, hypochondria. So I do a lot of those things that you mentioned, like constant clocking of symptoms and what's going on in my body, even though I don't have a diagnosis to like be needing to do that for. So I relate to, to that anxious level, just 
that's just me. That's just my trauma. (laughs) Were you you an anxious person before this or like around health or did it kind of, did this spur that obviously I'm sure that's an element, but was there any of that before? You know, I think having the like career path that I have being a wellness counselor, being focused on like health and embodiment and whatever, I think I've always had that orientation around observation of my system Mm -hmm. and trying to understand what signals it's sending me. And, you know, is this a symptom of imbalance? You know, that's, that's work that I've been doing from the lens of being a a wellness counselor. Um, But it was always in this non-emotional kind of way, more in this like scientific observation, like I'm a fun little puzzle case study. Number one, let me like you know, put into practice my Ayurvedic education and and whatever. Post-diagnosis, it changed. Um, The anxiety definitely came in. I think what the difference is, um, when you're dealing with something like an autoimmune disorder, there's not always logical rhyme and reason. You know, pre-diagnosis, pre-flare-up, pre-activation of this disease in my system, I felt an imbalance. I observed it. I analyzed the signals. I knew exactly its root source. I could exert some control over it by changing my eating habit or whatever and bring myself back to center. Sometimes that works now. Oftentimes it doesn't. I have no control, right? Like I, and it's not always predictable. It's not always consistent you know, I can be doing all the right things and I could still wake up and have a shitty MS day where my right arm is completely numb and I'm feeling those electrical shocks, signals and whatever. And my mental health is poor, you know, that's the hardest part. You can take it all in and you still can't change it fully. You can influence it. You can manage your symptoms in a much better way, especially if you're pairing modern medicine and these disease modifying therapies, plus, you know, all the holistic stuff, like you're going to give yourself the best possible chance, but there are just some days where it doesn't align. And that's hard because <laughs> I like control. <laughs> <laughs> we had a guest on who talked about wellness practices for people with ADHD. That's like her specialty. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she talked about was like people who are into health as a hobby. And I think you are one of those people, like you are into you know, nutrition and wellness and health. And this like whole passion area that you went down and left Microsoft for and all of this stuff. It was partly like, because it brought, I mean, a lot was because it brought you joy and it was a hobby and like a passion of yours. And I'm sure, and it sounds like with the MS, it's kind of been, that's been shifted and it's now kind of out of necessity and survival. Um, I do know that you're still, holding your practice and continuing your Ayurvedic wellness practice. So how have you handled, like, I mean, literally throughout the first year of your business, your entire perspective on health and wellness radically shifted. How has that impacted your business? How has that impacted you? Like, how are you handling that? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a wonderful question. Um, (laughs) So I'll tell you in like another year, but um, you know, I think if anything, it made me feel even more convicted in the work that I'm doing. Like what, what, what trick of the universe that I 
left my corporate job. I spent an entire year plus focused on managing my own health and well-being and finding ways to support the health and well-being of others through food and movement, whatever. I came to learn my system super, super deeply, how to keep it in balance. And it was like, the universe was like, okay, that was a training camp. Here you go. Here's a diagnosis. Here's your own like personal health Olympics. You ready? Run. And I just feel really, really lucky that I had that baseline before this moment came because as overwhelming as it was, as challenging as it remains, I had all the tools ready to go to protect myself and my well-being as much as I possibly could within my control, right? I didn't have to learn any of that. That was just ready to go. And that is such a, such a blessing. And I think for me, my, my perspective on everyone should have those tools ready to go because we don't know what life is going to throw our way, especially with the way our world is going, right? Like, the effects of global warming and globalization, like all these weird viruses cropping up. We don't know how they're going to interact with our system. We don't know what kind of destabilizing force that they're going to have on us. We can't control that, but we're better off if we have like balanced blood sugar levels, if we have a well-functioning digestion, if we know what forms of nourishment are balancing to us or not, if we have strong and flexible bodies, if we've been able to mitigate, manage, change our relationship to stress, you know, all of these things are just tools that we all need. Right. And I feel a lot of sense of purpose and mission and helping others find that regardless of their health status, whether they are in beautiful health or if they're also dealing with chronic illness, these are all things that we need. Um, so I think that's definitely been, you know, the biggest impact is I just really believe in it. I really believe in it. And I feel very grateful to be able to do the job that I do and also to have the timing that I have, because, you know, had I still been in corporate and received this diagnosis, then I don't know if I would have left. I don't know if I would have left because the anxiety around um, security and benefits and health insurance and all of that stuff. I mean, they're beautiful things. Those golden handcuffs are real. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I would have left, but there was a part of me that would have struggled a lot harder if the Mm -hmm. timing had been different, right? I already ripped that bandaid off. I was already in it. And thank God I was because when I got that diagnosis, being in business for yourself, you get to control how and when all that goes down. I emailed all of my clients. I told them what was going on. I shifted everyone's sessions until... August, September. And I gave myself those two, two and a half months completely off just to focus on rest, just to focus on recovery, just to focus on processing all the shit that went down. And I still get that opportunity when I have a bad day. You know, I am able to do that without feeling like I have to overextend myself. And that is a really, really big blessing, truly. Yeah, I'm sure it's kind of nice in a way that your clients are deeply understanding likely of like health problems that you're going through. And I'm sure in a way, a one blessing of this is that it probably makes you a better healer, more empathetic healer, but it's like, did I need that? Like, did I need this to be yeah. more empathetic? <laughs> Could you have given me a different lesson <laughs> to do that? Um, but I'm sure that is one, one silver lining of sorts, but how, like what specifics 
of Ayurvedic medicine are you kind of bringing in and yeah. combining with the Western medicine or modern medicine to manage your symptoms? Like what specifically? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, the biggest thing with, um, multiple sclerosis is you want to avoid triggers of inflammation and because inflammation will, the presence of inflammation in your system will trigger your immune system, which will then start attacking things, which will cause more inflammation. And then, you know, spiral, spiral, spiral. Right. And so, um, what the, what the like medication that I'm on is doing is suppressing my immune system. I'm on immunosuppressant drug. I go in twice a year for full day IV infusion. It kills all the B cells in my immune system. The B cells are the the ones that tell the T cells what to attack. So without that communication channel, they don't attack anything. So I have a very, very suppressed immune system, which for MS is great because even if there is, you know, an infection or whatever, it's not going to overreact. It does make it harder for me to like, you know, get over a cold or things like that, but I'm not as uh, much of a risk of like the demyelination type situation. So that's what the medication is doing. What Ayurveda helps me do is really um, make sure that I am not consuming either physically or mentally things that trigger inflammation in my system. And so in a non-Ayurvedic perspective, there are very known common sources of inflammation for most people, added sugar, alcohol, gluten, dairy, et cetera. What Ayurveda adds to that is um, understanding which forms of nourishment generate a destabilizing heat in your system. You know, external heat is a trigger for MS. Internal heat is also a trigger for MS. So foods that are spicy, sour or salty. These are the three tastes that generate heat in your system, right? I mean, you know, this when you eat spicy food, you start sweating, right? Um, so I have to minimize those. It's not remove them entirely, but there's a time and a place. And that time and place is not every day, not every meal. Um, there's also practices like breath work and meditation that are cooling to my mind, that are cooling to my spirit. Um, that help me kind of get the energy in my system that is um, lacking a specific direction, that is misfiring in my circulatory, my nervous system to move in appropriate ways. There are self-care techniques like warm oil massages that help kind of give a vector to that energy. Um, and it's been it's been really, really helpful. I think, you know, one thing that I'm doing coming up this upcoming week is I'm going to be hosting a webinar on the Ayurvedic management of multiple sclerosis to just share more of what I've learned along the way with other people in the MS community, because, you know, it's kind of overwhelming when you get a diagnosis, there's so much information out there that are all somewhat similar, but also contradicting. And everyone has different opinions on what's the right diet and how much you should buy a book to pay for it. You know, like all of this stuff and everyone has opinion on what you should be doing. And, you know, you try to find pockets of community, like on TikTok and Reddit, whatever, but it's hard. It's hard. And I think the more I can just use my own experience to help others and consolidate all the information and generate a sense of community and make sure it's free to anyone who wants it. Like that's part of what, what you're saying before, like the lesson, right? Like when I got this diagnosis in a very weird way, it was very easy for me to accept. It was, it was hard and shocking, 
But because of the career path I've developed for myself and I've chosen for myself, the pathway from this crazy thing happening to me to how do I find a sense of purpose in all of this was super short, right? It was like an immediate translation from I have this thing to how do I incorporate this into like what I contribute to the world. That felt incredibly productive to me. That period of time where I wasn't working with a client, I wrote, I recorded videos. Like I was just thrown into this thing and it felt really, really good. And that is the thing that is helping me manage. Where it's like, if I can just keep doing this, if I can keep sharing, if I can keep supporting others, building community around it, like I can handle it. Like if that's what this is all meant to be, like fine, I'll take it. I want to ask one more question about your MS diagnosis and then kind of talk through some Ayurvedic questions that Autumn and I have. Um, But to wrap this up, I'm really curious, and you touched on this a little bit, but if and how your multiple sclerosis diagnosis has changed your perspective on any decisions you've made throughout your 20s? It's such a good question. (laughs) Um, Yes, one. Back in 2021, so I just turned 30, I went for my annual physical, and that was the year that I'd asked her to do a full blood panel, vitamins, hormones, blood sugar levels, whatever. And in that, my vitamin D was below range. Mm. And I supplemented for a little, and then I kind of got lazy and I did it. Um... Decision number one is I would have done, I would have been more respectful of my health. You know, I would have done that sooner. I would have gone that snapshot sooner. I would have actually like followed through on the supplementing. I don't think it would have changed anything long-term. But you know, who knows, right? I can't, I can't be too hard on myself about that, but I would just say like for anyone listening, let my experience be a source of inspiration for you all to get that snapshot, like understand what's happening in your system. The end of your twenties, especially as you roll over into your 30 decades, like this is the right time to get baseline information, right? Because shit happens when you age, you want to know, well, at least in this year, this was what was happening in my system. So go do that work. Um, I think besides that, no, I don't know. I just don't think my life was meant to go any other way. I think everything has happened when and how and as it should. And I just firmly believe that. And I wouldn't want to trade it, MS and all. I mean, when I learned about your diagnosis, I it it was like clear where you were gonna take it. And it it I think like there was a part of me that was thinking, like, oh wow, I'm really happy for her that she made the decision to leave Microsoft and like put herself first. Cause you also had a period of time where you were putting yourself first without having to deal with this, which like, oh. if you were later in the process, you wouldn't have had that time. And so like, that was beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that like, that's your answer. And you're like, no, this all worked out how it should have, even though obviously it's not maybe what you would have wanted prior to knowing, but like, what are you going to do with that? And with the decisions you've made, it seems like you have just put yourself in the perfect right place to like handle this information. So and you're handling with such grace and like helping so many, which is all you can do and so important. So thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Part of my reflection on that is we talked about this last time of just like, even though 
my definition of joy and passion within the context that I was in is very different than how I would define it now. I think throughout my life, that's always been my North star, go follow the things that make me feel happy. And I think even if, you know, it leads you, life leads you into a weird path. If you have that as your baseline, if that's a thing that is guiding your decisions, it's hard to feel like you'd want to change anything. Mm-hmm. And so for all the listeners, figure out what makes you happy and go do that shit. It's honestly, life is too short. You never know. You never know when life is going to be like, <laughs> 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 That was my guess on what, how you were going to answer that question, because I also kind of feel like me just playing it out in my head. If you were at Microsoft and you got this diagnosis, you probably would have thought, oh, how can I improve my health? What are things you probably would have still taken a leave of absence to figure it out. When you leave of absence, you probably would have still found and been drawn to Ayurvedic medicine. You just wouldn't have had that year ish of like, I think I'm healthy and I, and I think everything is so perfect and amazing to like really figure it out. You would have been more panicked and stressed, but I think you would have still ended up here. <laughs> and so even if you didn't, I, I kind of think you still would have, would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you. I'm like, if I, you would have done it. I know. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> Jordan and I talking about this concept of like the new year in January versus like spring equinox and like the new year in, in nature and how there's like a collective energy shift of like, let's be productive and eat healthy and be really good in January. But there's still like a sluggishness in nature. That's kind of like leaks into it. And when, when you should really be putting all of this like new energy and life into yourself, maybe is in spring when like the world is reawakening. I'm sure Ayurveda talks about that. So I wanted to know what your thoughts were on that in, in terms of. I completely agree. The way that like, you know, this country and others had decided what is the new year. It's just so weird. It just doesn't make sense. If anything, I really think of uh, new year in two, in two places. One is winter solstice, right? Because that is when the light and the sun, you know, in our experience starts to grow again, right? That's like the pivotal point where we enter into the shortest day of the year. And then everything after that starts to grow. And so for me, that is the moment where you plant seeds of intention of the things that you want to grow with the sun, right? But in turn, but you're still in the darkness. You're still in this like stagnant, low, heavy season where everything is dead and nothing is bearing fruit and all that stuff. And it just doesn't make sense to like exert, you know, all of that kind of like transformative energy then, right? This is really about rest and counterbalancing that heaviness with, you know, movement and nourishment and some of that kind of stuff. But I agree. I think, you know, the new year, especially my culture, you know, Persian New Year's spring, that's Mm -hmm. when we celebrate because everything in nature comes back to life. I think what this period of time from now until then is really just about rest, reflection, gearing up for that period of time so that you can enter into that season of rebirth and relife and regeneration with clarity, right? Like that's the type of work that you can be doing right now is the heavy reflection and intention setting. Um, but it's, it's not that high intensity activation energy, right? (laughs) There's rest. That's part of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our bodies carry a lot of wisdom 
And I don't know about y'all, but my body in the winter puts on weight and wants to sit its ass down on the couch. And there are many, many, many years, even now, still parts of me fights that natural seasonal cyclical behavior, because I think I should be a certain weight or I should have a certain level of activity or a certain level of energy, especially the new year, new year, new year, new year trope. Um, that forces me to think that I'm like lacking in some way if I'm not like maximizing my gym membership around this time. <laughs> but after so many years of just witnessing what my body naturally does, I have to respect it and I'm going to let it take the lead. If it gets a little fluffy and if it gets a little sleepy, let it be. When the sun comes back around, she'll come back out. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're just so constantly fighting against our own nature. And I just think it's exhausting. I also think I, you've posted before about like eating seasonally. And I always try to think through that when I'm like shopping of like, okay, these like strawberries in the middle of February in Seattle, like are not from here. <laughs> like, yeah. can't ship here from somewhere. And I think about like, you know, diet culture and losing weight and all this stuff that you want to do around the new year. It's like the world is not growing salads in January. <laughs> like, the world is potatoes. You know, right. we're eating root veggies and like, and it's also like what my body is craving. Like, I just think about like squash in the fall. I don't know. It's like, totally. if you, when you lean into that, you feel so in alignment, it's so obvious, but we do have these like cultural expectations of like going and it's really like diet culture. That's so toxic about it. But like, I, I think about that a lot with, um, your seasonal, just talking about seasonally. So what, what are things you're eating right now? Yeah. So, you know, I think for everyone, if it's within your budget range, as much as you can eat local and organic, the better. It's not always within everyone's budget range. They, they like, and by they, I mean like the nutritionists of the world publish, you know, lists of like, if you're going to buy produce, which ones are okay to buy, not organic and which ones are preferred organic. So you can look those things up, but if it's within your budget range to eat local and organic, for us, you know, my shortcut is I just shop from PCC, um, which really kills my budget, but here we are. Um, sorry, say that again. What's PCC? It's like a local. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's really the shortcut, right? Because principle number one in Ayurveda is that we are not separate from nature. We are just another expression of nature. We're all one massive interconnected, integrated natural system, right? And so when we view ourselves from that lens, um, we come to understand that nature is providing things in the season that we need, right? Everything, nature is constantly finding ways to find balance and homeostasis within itself. And so if there are fruits and vegetables and other things that come into fruition in a season, It's because they are good for us. They are balancing to us. It's what's going to keep our system in balance. And so for the winter time, think about the qualities of winter, right? It's like, depending on where you are, it's very cold. Um, It's very like, can be very windy. It can either be very dry or very wet. Sometimes it starts off dry. And as we approach spring, starts to get uh, wetter. So you want to eat foods that are going to be grounding, that are going to be warming, both in the energetic property kind of post-digestively and also in the way that the food is prepared. 
Uh, as we enter the later months of winter and go into spring and things get really heavy and really wet, we want to break up that stagnancy with even more heat, with maybe sharper heat, with spicier heat, right? So right now I'm eating a lot of soups and stews with root vegetables. I'm very heavy handed on um, spices that are um, like digestive support, like cumin, turmeric, coriander, ginger, cardamom, um, saffron, all of these things. As we get further and further into winter and start approaching spring, I add more of the cayenne, the chili, the garlic, the onion, more of that sharper spice to really break through. And then um, incorporating more um, things that are drier to counterbalance the wetness. So more bitter and astringent things. Think lots of fresh herbs, think dark leafy greens. But right now we're still kind of in the upper part of winter. So it's mostly, you know, root vegetables and other things like that. Yeah. Do you have like a sort of top five things for transitioning seasons if we're talking about moving I know we're still in winter but if we're talking moving from winter to spring what are like the top five things that you recommend people to do yeah that's a great question so I think um in terms of transition from winter to spring um when you think about you know in Ayurveda we define nourishment as everything you take into your system So it's not just food, but it's food, it's water, it's breath, and anything that comes in through your senses, right? What you see, what you hear, what you smell. I'll start with food. Um, Transitioning from winter to spring, I want you to increase your spice intake. Be heavy-handed. It's totally cool. Increase fresh herbs and increase dark leafy greens. So um, food profiles like Mexican food, great. You know, like that's going to get you all of those things. Then when it comes to water, I'll, you know, just keep drinking room temperature, warm water movements. Um, this is where, you know, the bulking season of the winter, maybe you were doing more like weightlifting training, that type of stuff. Start transitioning that into cardio. Spring is really the time where you want to get your heart rate going, where you, the heaviness of the wetness of the season that you want to burst through. Think of like a flower coming through the earth. You need that energy to break through. Cardiovascular um, exercise is really going to be the most helpful to you. Um, When you think about like breath work and other meditative practices, you don't necessarily want to cultivate so much stillness. You know, you want things that, again, generate that heat for you to break through. So breathing exercises that maybe are faster, right? Like those forceful exhales, right? That really get things going. Um, Maybe it's not like a total mindfulness thing. Maybe your meditation practices include movement. Maybe there's something that move, you're, you know, moving your body. It's more of that ecstatic dance. Um, and then I would say like, really start to make use of the growing light. You know, you need to reemerge into the light. And so if you're going to socialize, do it outside, do it in the daylight hours, all of that fun stuff. I'm actually going to be hosting a winter to spring transition webinar on March 14th. Um, so I'll give you guys the link if you want to share that around Fun. Yeah. I would love to sign up for that. I also have another question. I don't know if Jordan has any more, but I have one last question. Everyone on TikTok lately has been talking about cycle syncing, hormone <laughs> balancing. And I think it's important because, you know, I think it's for women. 
I was never taught any of any of this, especially like, you know, when I was going through puberty and like starting to think about my hormones being imbalanced and having acne and wanting to go on birth control. It was like, Oh, birth control is the answer. Like if you have acne birth control, Oh, if you have this birth control, like there was like no doctors really ever talked about it. So I think it's important that it's being talked about now, but there's so many, like, just like it's just a trend that everyone's just talking about and no one knows shit actually. So I was wondering if you know anything about cycle syncing and leaning into that. And if there's any like Ayurvedic tips for just being a woman in the world. (laughs) Um, you know, it's something that I'm getting more into myself, to be honest. So I had for a very long time since I was 17 years old, maybe been on birth control. Mm -hmm. And over this last year, I went off of it um, because I really wanted to reconnect with my own body without any mediating factor. Um, I also made that decision at a time when I was single, which is no longer the case. Done a little dicey since then, um, but <laughs> learning that tracking your cycle is very effective um, if you get in touch with your body. So I've been on that journey myself, um, and truthfully, I don't know all the things, but things that I have come to learn is, um, you know, the period leading up to ovulation. Right, that is when things in your system are for me at least. And I think what I've heard from all the people out there, like the energy is flourishing, right? You have increasing energy. This is the time where your skin is a little bit more glowy, you know, like post post menstruation leading up to ovulation. Um, so in terms of movement, you know, this is the time to really capitalize on that burst of energy where you can do more higher intensity stuff leading into the period of ovulation. So what I've started to do is um, in that period of time, this is where I go take dance classes. And I've been finding that um, not only does it feel good, but I also feel like very swaggy, you know, you know, when you're like ovulating and like your hormones are on fire, <laughs> you like want to do anything that moves. Yeah. Like this is- <laughs> TMI. Sorry, everyone. Sorry for everyone. But yeah, you know, you think about there is an increase of uh, life force, of vitality, of vigor, of um, radiance that comes in that period leading up to and during ovulation. And so capitalize on that. Post-ovulation, as you head down towards menstruation, energy levels dip, your digestion slows down, really important to be taking magnesium and other supplements to make sure that your digestion is moving right that's where I just really shift into, you know, rest mode, right? I'm not trying to overexert myself in any way, whether that it's movement, whether that's like eating very heavy foods. I can't do that. My digestion can't support it. It's all simple. It's all soothing. It's all rest focused. And so that's kind of just how I've been thinking about it. I'm not like super into every little detail of like, eat more avocados, this and eat more avocados that like, I don't, I don't know all those things, Uh Um, but for me, it's just about the energy fluctuations and how do I make use of them? Yeah. Everyone's posting about this, um, carrot salad that apparently is really good. Shaved carrots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's carrots like absorb excess estrogen. And so it's whatever, but I tried to say, cause I was like, yeah, 
I have carrots and I'm doing whole 30 and I can't eat shit anyway. So I might as well just have a fucking carrot. And honestly, it was really delicious. So <laughs> you guys should try this carrot salad. And that. That gets me, if we're talking about birth control, I've been off birth control for like three years now. And I recently got this aura ring for Christmas. And if you combine the aura ring with this app called natural cycles, um, and you like keep track of your cycle that way, it's like, with from their clinical trials and studies, 98% effective in trials and then 93% effective in like the real world, which is the same as birth control. So depends how comfortable you feel with that, but it is a tool. So I, yeah, I'm going to sign up so I can, I can keep you updated, but that's a tool for you. If you are, you know, starting to date or not be single anymore and wanting to get pregnant, you know, get pregnant, you know. <laughs> She'll keep you updated on if she has a baby is what she yeah. <laughs> my terror reader said that I'm going to have a baby in like three years. I have a spirit baby that's hanging around and he's like, Oh, that it's a boy and he's coming in three years. So like have fun now, but like, I'm going to be a mom soon. Um, and you know, maybe it's like the power of suggestion or whatever, but like, I've started to feel like, Oh shit, it's happening. Like I can feel my life starting to take, and you know, all my friends are getting pregnant. That's part of like the life stage that I'm into, but you know, every, every month I get my career and I'm like, thank you for not coming yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're a baby. Stay for a little bit. Stay with me. Well, ready, we'll call you down. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Adorable. Um, yeah. Well, so you mentioned your seminar and I actually saw that yeah. on your stories and I do want to join that, but can you shout out where people can learn more about what you're teaching and where people can find you and find your practice? Yeah. So place number one, I'd say is you can always set up time to chat with me, check out what I'm all about on my website. It's lilyjade.com, L-I-L-I-J-A-D-E.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Lily Jade Wellness. I talk about Ayurveda. I talk about what it means to run your own business. I talk about multiple sclerosis. I talk about my cats. I don't know. It's all the shit in there. And then um, if you're into more writing and reading blogs and articles and less like video and short form, I do a lot of writing on my LinkedIn, on my personal LinkedIn. So you can just search my name, Random Jaddy. And uh, yeah. I, if there's anyone out there who just wants to learn more about Ayurveda, who has multiple sclerosis, I don't know, whatever you want to chat about, I like meeting new people. So hit me up. We'll talk. Well, thank you so much for joining this, of course, and predictably was delightful. (laughs) And also everyone go listen to her first two episodes on our podcast. Um, They're literally the first two guest episodes we have. I think it's episode two and three. So (laughs) go check those out. They're really good. Um, And yeah, Rana, thank you for so much for coming. Thanks for having me again. It was so nice to catch up. (laughs) Woohoo!